Ultra. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. And who's the real monster here? I podcast to build something better, whereas you, you podcast for revenge. Or because I asked you to. Either way, I'm pleased to welcome back Kevin Mosteller to Ideal Remake. So, Kevin, is Darkman a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? It has not been, and quite frankly, I don't know if it does need to be remade. It's uh, It's a pretty fun pretty fun movie uh on its own as it as it uh stands today would be definitely fun to see a new take on it but it's still a cult classic in my opinion yeah very much so i think it should be remade because there are some things that the movie almost went to that i would like to see them actually follow through on the idea of oh yeah that's that's very true there was a lot of moments that was like hmm, i would have loved to have seen more of this but yeah before we get into that though Kevin, you've been on the podcast more than anyone else, but but just in case anyone is listening and hearing your voice for the first time, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I am a uh, film composer full-time at the moment. Uh, I predominantly do horror movies at, right now, um, but if anybody needs music, I'm happy to explore other genres. Uh, before <laughs> that, I've made a couple films of my own and uh, was a writer for, for a couple years as well. And uh, now, you know, just kind of all in on this new venture and doing as much music as I can and getting excited about it. So Yeah, and you're really good at it. Oh, thank you very much. That's very Yeah, kind. of course. The next question is, when did you first see Darkman? I first saw Darkman, God, probably around 1991 or two. Um, it was huge when it came out around L.A., native Angelino. Uh, and <laughs> they, they had this awesome marketing campaign that, like, so set kind of the scene here. 1990s a year it came out, a year after Batman. The And Batman was just like, that was the biggest summer movie up until that point. Like that, that thing was everywhere. And so they kind of took that idea and ran with it and had this great campaign. Just who is Darkman in big, bold letters. That was it. That was the poster. <laughs> And it it, uh, it did quite well on opening weekend, um, but I was not allowed to see it because I was six and it was rated R and probably for the better on that one. I mean, it's it's good that you waited till you were seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. It took me all, all of what well, I matured, what, two whole years? <laughs> two whole. I mean, at that age, it's a lot. But still, I don't know if I would say that this is a good movie for a seven or an eight-year-old no and uh, to be quite frank my you know my i saw it without my parents permission so you know but fair it uh it it definitely left a mark on me pun intended (laughs) ha 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 Uh, ah we jokes yes wit (laughs) ha so uh this was just a little about this movie if you don't mind this was uh sam raimi's first ever big budget studio film i had just recently read i guess it was the 30th anniversary of this film last year and they did this big yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, they did this this big like variety article on on it in that nice little write-up and interviewed everybody involved and uh i guess there was this crazy thing where universal studios did not trust you know the sam raimi brand at the time 
which was, you know, lots of weird montages, things flying at the screen. So they had gone through and had a their own editor cut this thing to shreds. And supposedly over the weekend before either before the release or before they had to like make the prints for the like big distribution, Sam Raimi <laughs> went in, hired his own editor and was like, put all this stuff back and then we're going to send it directly to, you know, the printers and they're going to print the prints. And uh, yeah, that was it. Universal was furious until they saw the box office numbers. And then they were like, yeah, this kid's great. We love him. Let's give him another movie. That is a bold move. Like the fact that like, oh, the uh, production company went behind your back. Like you hear about that all the time. Like, oh, they cut the movie to shreds. And, like, people get locked out of editing rooms. But to then sneak back in, hire your own editor, and then go around the back of the studio to send your version out on your first movie? That is insane. That and doesn't happen. No, at all. Ever. <laughs> I mean, they got him back kind of on the next one because his next one was Army of Darkness. And that one was was snipped to shreds. Uh, but, you know, is what it is. Uh <laughs> Well, we, the important we gotta, thing is is that we never heard of Sam Raimi again. I know. I don't know what he's busy doing now, but yeah. you know, Godspeed I, to him. Yeah, ma- it's madness, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably tell a story about how we came to remake this movie. So I feel like I've mentioned on the podcast before, especially since I've had some people from this movie club as guests. But uh, my friend Paul Presley at the start of the pandemic, like organized like a movie club that we were going to meet every week and watch a movie. We would have five movies to choose from. We'd vote and then watch the one we vote and then come together and talk about it. And as people are starting to get vaccinated, I would say as the pandemic is ending, but it's not ending. People are just treating it that way. Right. Uh, as people are starting to get vaccinated and we're starting to become more comfortable with with our vaccinated friends, we're transitioning our movie club to meet in person. Instead of weekly, we're going to once a month in person. And our first in-person meetup was this month at my apartment. And it was super fun. But the theme for this month, because it's also my birth month, was superheroes. And I wanted to pick five movies for people to choose from that weren't Marvel, weren't DC, just a fun selection. So I picked like Hellboy, The Rocketeer, Sky High, Dark Man. All solid films. And something else that I can't think of. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But Dark Man was everyone's like one or two choice. Like with so like I didn't even need to add anything up. We just all knew Dark Man was gonna win. And I reached out because I was like, you know, there's a chance Kevin has this on. No, you'd randomly posted on Facebook an image from Darkman. Yes. And I was like, this is one of your favorite movies. You must have it on DVD that I can borrow. (laughs) And you did. And we watched your DVD copy of Darkman. And it was awesome. And everyone had a lovely time. Good. I'm glad everyone had a lovely time. This movie is a blast. Like, it's short. It's sweet. Uh, Arguably before, you know, the big comic book franchise thing really took off and kind of set the trend for comic book movies going forward. That and the original Batman. I mean, Sam Raimi loves setting trends for comic book movies. He seems to be very good at it. Yeah. And I mean, the man's a big old nerd and I appreciate it. Yeah, same. So do I. And this is a movie that I don't know if I would have appreciated as much if I hadn't been watching it with a group because it definitely has those moments where as a room we were like, ooh, or ah, or ugh. Mm-hmm. And those are fun moments to experience in a crowd. It's it's fun to be able to do that again. Because I had nine or eight or nine people over here, and it was awesome, and we were all super into it. 
no one was into Francis McDormand's hair. But other than that, it was pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's 1990 for you. I mean, yeah, I to to be honest with you, uh, everything else in that movie, it's kind of timeless like there's no there was i mean other than like the computer monitors and you know yeah. technology's moved on but, but there was no said, like the technology that they did with like the holograms and like the projection of the face and the hands that are being created was pretty cool yeah it's essentially like a a pre 3d printing version of 3d printing <laughs> yeah the the biggest thing that we called out in terms of technology was Liam Neeson, dark man, scanned his face and half his face was missing. Mm-hmm. And he was taking one side of his face, copying it and pasting it to the other side of the face. It was going to take like 980 hours to fully <laughs> render out what his face was going to be because he didn't have any pictures. Right. And so copying and pasting took 24 days. Yeah. Whatever the hours was, we did the calculation. I did the math and it was like, it took 24 days to paste. Exactly. Uh, well, you know, you had to do it right back then. Yeah. Um, I do remember reading just, you know, as a musician and a, on the recording side, back in the day, the version of Pro Tools that they had around 1990 was kind of the same thing of like, we had this render button. And once you clicked that, it took four hours to make a little sound. And, <laughs> and if it was bad, you were like, well, here we go. Start all over again. <laughs> yeah. So that was funny. But, like, as long as he had a photograph of someone, the machine moved pretty quickly. Impressively so. When they, like, when Francis McDormand randomly finds the room full of arms and faces. Oh, that's such a great moment, too. Yeah. Just, like, the sound design in that moment. (laughs) It's so creepy. But, yeah, so the basic premise of this movie is that Francis McDormand is is a hotshot attorney who keeps telling the person under indictment that they're under indictment and she's the only one with the evidence needed to put them away. So she keeps going to the criminal's office and telling them, here is this evidence. Goodbye forever. By the way, I have this. What should I do with it? (laughs) Yeah. And then, I mean, she has a great line where she says, well, if you're not going to kill me, I've got shit to do. Amazing line. Yeah. Perfect line. It's a really great line, but silly plot. (laughs) Yeah. But after revealing to Louis Strack Jr. that she has all this, like, damning evidence... Somehow, some mobsters break into this apartment she shares with the scientist guy, which the apartment also being his laboratory. Uh, uh, Just above a coffee place, too. We're we're making human skin, fake human skin above Java, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, fake human skin that only lasts 100 minutes. Yeah, 99 minutes in the light. In the light. And they find out that if it's dark, the skin can continue to last. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, the mobsters attack, they take the place down and uh, basically torture Liam Neeson, Peyton Westlake for the information that was literally just sitting out on the bed. He had no idea what they were talking about. Then they find it on his own and then continue torturing and then killing him. Well, as mobsters do. I mean, well, I, I'm i going to be the first to say it. I don't think they were good dudes. There, you got to be kind of a bad guy if you want to be a mobster. Should be on the resume, at least. There's the first showdown with the two rival uh, gangs where um, Robert Durant like brings out the cigar snipper thing and snips a cigar. And we're like, well, that's a lot of like I literally I think I called out of like, well, that's a cool little toy for him to have. And then, oh, no, we put a dude's <laughs> finger in it. <laughs> Not just once, but he had 10 whole points he had to get through. <laughs> yeah. And then like later we see his collection of fingers and we're like, fuck. Yeah, that's a really cool, and you can tell, like, that's a very kind of 
screenplay thing to give somebody to do, right? Like, that's a very oh, yes. good writing quirk of, like, this guy chops off fingers and keeps him. That's how evil he is. I mean, it worked. It was dark. And then he kept using that thing to clip his cigars. Like, he must clean it, but also gross. Yeah, still very gross. Yeah. I would hope he would clean it, but I don't know. I mean, he doesn't seem like a very stand-up guy. <laughs> no. I mean, he didn't think a lot of things through. Right. Right. But but basically, uh, everyone thinks Liam Neeson dies or burns up in the fire, but he got exploded out into the lake where he's found by a psychopath of a doctor. Yeah, pretty much uh, modern-day Dr. Frankenstein. But who's like, I mean... We found this random homeless guy that was pretty burned, so we're going to juice him full of all these chemicals. He won't be able to feel anything anymore. He'll be super strong and have wild emotional mood swings, but he'll probably die, so it's fine. <laughs> Let me just try this experimental thing where I cut half of your brain out. Like, or no, it was disconnect a piece of his brain or something like that. Yeah, the, the one that feels pain. Right. But also surges of adrenaline cause random, yeah, violent yeah. mood swings. Yep. And the way she described it, it felt like she'd done this to other homeless people before. So as far as I'm concerned, in this world, there's other homeless dark men roaming the streets of L.A. getting real angry sometimes. There could be. There totally could be. Yeah. What other? You don't have any volunteer test subjects, so. Yeah, you kind of got to find them. Yeah, which, speaking of that, like, of downtown... Most of it takes place in downtown L.A., but at one point he's rocketed into a river. <laughs> yeah. Is it a river? Because we were like, this is definitely filmed in L.A., but his coffee shop, like, studio science lab apartment was next to a bay? Yeah. And and they were taking over a waterfront. So I don't know if it is actually set in Los Angeles. Like, I think they just shot in L.A.? Uh I don't know. I but mean, they was, never say where it takes place, right? Right, right. I don't, yeah, I don't it, think they do, but. Dark Man takes place in Dark City. Oh. Which is a different movie. I don't know. Totally. Although yeah, that I mean, would, I, be, would be an interesting crossover. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of fits. Yeah. But anyway, uh, basically he ends up escaping and then use, and then even though his lab blew up, he salvages enough, enough equipment and takes over an abandoned warehouse to be able to continue his work creating fake skin which was convenient that he had mm -hmm. and uh he ends up constructing uh hands and a face like his own hands and face for himself and he's like well as long as i'm doing this i'm gonna go out and get the people who did this to me and he starts sure. constructing their hands and faces and steals their identity in order to exact his revenge mm -hmm. sounds about and, right classic and, revenge story yeah and he ends up only doing that two three-ish times he uh kills that first dude mm -hmm. uh uh brian ramey what's sam ramey's brother's yeah, ted, name ted ramey, ted ramey yeah. ted ramey he kills ted ramey he kills uh knockoff vin diesel mm -hmm. and then he steals kevin durant's uh face in order to steal a bunch of money hey, and fake, that was uh, yeah fake, fake skin costs money you gotta fund that somehow I, I guess <laughs> you gotta you gotta plug the cartridges into your 3d printer yeah, exactly. I would say that, I mean, revenge is expensive. And how else do you hurt a gangster by steal their money? I mean, <laughs> it makes total sense to me. Like, I don't have a problem with him stealing money. But like, I was expecting more of that from the movie. Like, I was expecting this movie to be a lot more Kill Bill. Ah, uh, yeah. 
because he only did it those couple of times and then and then that was it then he's like and then he's having his relationship with Frances McDormand trying to be reignited and then she just leads all the bad guys to his warehouse essentially yeah I I feel like she is the worst part of this movie (laughs) (laughs) everything that happens is 100% her fault that yeah I hadn't looked at it that way but it is it absolutely is if only she didn't randomly stumble upon the Belisarius memo. <laughs> Not even that. It's fine that she stumbled upon the Belisarius memo. Don't tell Belisarius about it. Exactly. Right. Right. And then when there, like her, a place explodes, go back to Belisarius and go, oh, I can't believe my place exploded. That was so inconvenient for me. But we're still cool, right? <laughs> How random. <laughs> by yeah. the way. <laughs> by the way, that guy who I thought was in my apartment who uh, we thought was killed. Turns out he's alive and knows who did it. Anyway, I'm going to go directly to him now for no reason. Yeah. If you want to follow me, now would be a good time. If you want. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is I would have loved more revenge shenanigans of like weird tricks and things to like really freak. Like the, the way he starts messing with people by stealing their face, like the, the, the knockoff Vin Diesel guy, that was a really good one. Yeah, that one was really good. And there was a... Uh... One towards the end there where he had, like, put a mask upon a mask and sent the guy running it. That was a good gag. That was a really good gag. I enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, that one was great. Like, I wanted more tricks and, like, weird ideas and twists with that. Because, like, he has this whole warehouse full of, like, faces. Mm -hmm. Like, he's basically Arya Stark. Yeah. And we want from him the same thing we wanted from Arya Stark. Do some more face shenanigans. This is what we're here for. Well, that's that's why they made all the direct-to-video sequels, so we could, you know, see more more shenanigans. So then, we did this when we talked about Highlander. There are There is Darkman 2 and Darkman 3. What happens in those? I'm honestly not 100% sure if I've ever seen Darkman 3. Uh, Darkman 2 is the return of Durant. Yeah, Durant, the guy who died in the exploding helicopter. Well, supposedly he did not die. He wound up in a coma for a few years and then came back and uh, wants revenge on Darkman now, who is still living in a dilapidated warehouse. I'm assuming it's a different one because doesn't it get blown up? Yeah, he blows it up. Yeah, that's what I thought. He, he, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He uses his uh, the trick that they used on him to blow up the whole place. So anyway, he's in another And I'm abandoned... not sure why. Like, there was one or two gangsters inside, but I feel like all of his equipment was more valuable him, to him than the random one or two gangsters. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they just needed a... They wrote themselves into a corner and needed a, a nifty way out there. <laughs> I mean, the worst part is that he killed the cat. Yeah. He was well, making I was friends a... with a cat. And I was then assuming the cat that was the, probably inside. I'm assuming that the kitty got away. I mean, that, okay. that, that kitty was resourceful. So. Okay, good. Yeah, good. Uh, the cat may have been in the sequel too. Now that we're talking about it, I'm not. Oh. I I don't remember, but good to know. But anyway, I'm sorry. What happens in the sequel? Other than Durant is out. The return of Durant. That's about all I can remember from it. Um, other Great. than it's no longer <laughs> uh, Liam Neeson. It's uh, Arnold. I'm gonna butcher his name. It's Arnold Vosloo. The guy who was the mummy in Brendan Fraser's Mummy. Oh, oh, yeah, the the bald dude. He was. That's he not bad Dark casting for that. Actually, that is in fact right. good casting. If you're going to replace Darkman, that that's actually a good pull. And also, I mean, the character of Darkman doesn't have a face, so you know he could just 
if you wanted to take a picture of your face and just wear that around, you know? So, I mean, that's true. That's how, you know, body shapes work. That, yeah. All right. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know he didn't get buff or something? I don't know. You can still grow six inches. I mean. Yeah. I mean, you notice that it's only dudes and he doesn't, because he can't take any women's faces. Right. Exactly. I mean, he could try, but that would be weird. (laughs) That would be very strange. I mean, you want to make this thing super creepy. Uh, 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 Julie Hastings, the Francis McDormand character, finds her face on a mannequin. That's, that's some creepy ass shit. Yeah, that's not scary at all, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Darkman. So this movie theoretically won like best horror or best new horror, something that when it came out. Um, yeah. Oh, I didn't know it, that. Yeah, it does count as a horror movie, uh, apparently. And, like, I I feel like if that's what it's going to be, I don't like horror movies, but you can still ramp up the creepiness factor. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I kind of looked always looked at it as more of a comic book movie. I don't know if it counts. But it's not based on a comic book. Right. This is all right. original, so it's not a comic book movie. And it is kind of, I guess, you know, like we talked about, more of like a universal, you know, Frankenstein kind of yeah. monster, tragic monster kind of movie. Very much um, so. And you know, it, it could go remake of it could go one of two ways. It could it could very much Tell be me. more of that kind of amped up comic book tragic violence, or it could probably go into more of a uh, like a a deeper thriller. This is this is one of your favorite movies. Which of like if this movie's getting remade, which of those two paths do you think we should start walking down? Quite honestly, I liked you know the more I thought about it, the more like a kind of modern thriller kind of feel to it would be a nice way to go. Like a re- modern revenge thriller, almost like tonally the same way as like the uh, invisible man remake. Sure. Where it's very, it's very tech driven. And I, I just think there's a lot of fun to be had there with ramping up kind of the, the tension and the scares in it. And, you know, I love this movie. Like it's one of my favorite movies, but the Sam Raimi cartoon violence kind of, Makes it a little more palatable, whereas I think we could probably make it a little bit more uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, to watch. I mean, so. in in your defense, like I I leaned on the horror comedy when I was doing my recasting for this. Like I think the horror comedy needs to be there, mm-hmm. but I think when you have these big funny moments, they need to be cut with truly sinister and creepy things. Right. Like, I, I think Darkman needs to systematically be going and, like, taking revenge off of every single character. And I think one of the more interesting twists we can do is I think there needs to be at least one of the mobsters or gangsters that gets taken out and we never see it. But we find out that w- that one of the gangsters has been Darkman this whole time going around to all the different situations. And that the person he replaced was the first person he killed and has just been that person in the gang for weeks. That's actually a really cool way in. I, I like that a lot. Uh, and, you know, kind of an infiltration type thing. That's, that's really mm-hmm. fun. I do think that it could be kind of uh, fun to have him like stumbling over, you know, the character traits of that one guy. Like, you know, he's really been off lately. You know, what's what's this guy's deal? And then, you know, you get a big reveal or something like that. Yeah, Exactly. I also, there was something in the movie that was never played with, but I wanted them to do more of. Like, the whole concept of the skin only lasts 99 minutes, and in the 100th minute, it starts melting. Mm -hmm. Unless it's in the dark. Right. And 
he keeps taking Francis McDormand and going to all these different places that are in the clear daylight. Like, he takes Francis McDormand to a, a, a carnival. Right. And it's like, that's terrible. Like, literally, <laughs> that you only ha- you have an hour and a half, and that's it. Right. And you still have to, and you still have to get there. And, like, take her to a movie. In a movie, mm-hmm. you're in the dark. And, say, you know, go out to a nice restaurant at night, you know? There's- yeah. Yeah. Like walk along the beach at night and it and your hands and face can last forever. Yeah, and also doesn't she have a job? So <laughs> I mean, like, you know. hard to say based on the way the on her performance. Like her performance review is going to be bad. Yeah. I, I mean, she's lucky if if she gets a, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a frankly, th- frankly this is criminal neglect. Yeah. Um however, um but like the way I want to play with is cuz uh, using that, like, I like that idea of playing with, like, the ticking clock and th- a way to put a pause on the clock. And especially as we have characters who are going to step in and out of shadows and darkness, like, every time, like, just, like, finding ways to stay in... The- like, basically, the way I act whenever I'm on a walk, which is to say, hiding the shade and choosing shade as my pat like if the sidewalk is half in shade half in the sun i'm going to be in the part that's in the shade and just finding ways to stick close to the edges of buildings so that i'm not in direct sunlight Mm -hmm. you know always stay in the shadows like a pale person would too (laughs) but basically like just finding like different like i want to see playfulness i want to see Something like that the audience then has to go back and rewatch to pick up on all the times when he fudged the clock or stayed in shadows or the reveal of this mobster at the end that turns out was like, oh, you know, whenever we saw that person, even when they were outside, they were always in the shadows or they were always wearing a hat or something. Yeah, kind of hanging, hanging back. And yeah. And it could lend itself to be like that person, whoever that is, is is the enforcer that always kind of, you know, just silently leans against the wall or something like that. And that could be why he takes him out first. Very much. Like the the guy, the the amputee, the one who was missing a leg. And that was a great moment when they're like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, boom, there was a gun in the leg. And then all of a sudden we all have guns, which made no sense. But we all have guns now. Right. But the moment where the leg turned out to be the gun and then the guy hops away, that was great. And then basically that guy is the driver of the most the rest of the movie oh that's right <laughs> and he's missing the his driving leg yeah but basically you have this guy who's in the car all the time uh, you have tinted windows that driver is in the shade and safe all the time oh and then and you know what that's even a cooler gimmick too like that could be the big reveal of how they find out is like they go to pull his leg his uh machine gun leg and it's a real leg and then yeah yeah you know, turns mm-hmm. into uh Quite the opposite uh, kind of fight, or you know, basically, yeah. Because it was also a very, very interesting, like the fight at the end where they're stealing faces and switching, and he does the double face and that whole. Like I loved all of that. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh man, so much fun. Yeah, and then okay, great. This uh, real estate guy is pulling the strings. Fine, whatever. That's always what we expect from these sort of things. There needs to be yeah. money. It's always a real estate scam. Yeah, of course. Yeah, always. That, that that's how eighties and nineties movies works, and how reality works. Right. Greed. Yeah. And, but, like, I want it, I want that playfulness, but I want it to get dark. Like, this moment when uh, Ted Raimi is being tortured and dark, and he's like, please, I've told you everything I know. And Dark Man goes, I know, this one's just for me. And then, like, shoves him up through a, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, 
the manhole cover until like a car runs him over. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite lines. He's like, I know you did, but let's pretend you didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Shoves him up through a manhole. And it's this great dark thing. And everyone in the room when I was watching this movie was like, whoa. And that's a good, like to elicit that reaction is really great. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why it should stay that dark is moments like that where you're kind of like, oh, this guy really is like uh, anti-hero. And like, we're not talking like Wolverine anti-hero. Like this guy is, you know. (laughs) Well, that's the line I also want to play with because the other important thing to pay attention to is that like this guy's basically been turned into a villain and he needs to be fighting it, fighting it, fighting it until finally he just lets himself cut loose and goes full villain. And like, Mm -hmm. it is a Saw movie for these for these mobsters at the end. Oh, okay. Well, cause like yeah. he, he has be. no sense of feeling. He has extreme emotions and rage and revenge. Like the, at the carnival, when he snaps those dude, that dude's fingers, <laughs> that's a, that's not a good guy move. No, it is not. And I, I really, one of the things I've always loved about that movie is that that's the hero's journey is it really is a dark man. He is a journey into darkness at that point. Yeah. And this is a live long enough to see yourself become the villain type situation. Absolutely. And I, and even at the end, he's like, you know, Peyton's dead and walks away and puts on Bruce Campbell's face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then turns back and we see Bruce Campbell. End of movie. Yeah. Okay. Guess guess Bruce Campbell's coming back. I mean, if there's a time to kick, to kick us out of the movie, it's when the movie, literally the last shot of the movie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like when, when did you get a picture of Bruce? Cam- I mean, I guess from a magazine, but still. Sure. Why not? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's handsome enough. Go I'd, for it. I'd wear that chin if I if I had to make my own skin. It's <laughs> quite the heroic chin. I mean, it's just the skin, right? So theoretically, the chin's hollow. So if anyone poked the chin, it would like, <laughs> cave in upwards. That's very Ooh. true. Half a finger into my chin. It is a. Uh, I mean, it, the hollow chin theory. A lot of people I mean, believe that. I, I'm I'm all in. We should just call this remake Hollow Chin. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I agree. Uh, it really is almost like a heart of darkness for him. Like it just really just goes, yeah, full full revenge. And, and by the end of it, you know, he is no longer Peyton Westlake scientist. He, he is dark man, literally, yeah. like inside and out. I agree. So basically, like, the core of this movie of a bunch of real estate shenanigans are going down, and then the, the the love interest character finds the document that can put the real estate dude away, and then he sticks the gangsters on them. I don't think that's a bad impetus no. for a movie. I think that still works. That's a great plot. It's uh, uh, essentially trying to take down Donald Trump before he was the president, right? Some real estate scheme, gentrifying Good. the waterfront, and... You're trying to, you know, you find some, you did some shady stuff and roused some people that you weren't supposed to. And now we're coming after you. And so what do you do? You turn to the mob as, as that person would, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) Go, go deal with some, uh, some gangsters that'll throw you out a window or something. Blow up your house. Go do mob things. I'm trying to sell pretzels over here. Right. (laughs) Do you know how much money we're going to make on these i on these new buildings? Like it's it's totally worth it. So. Yeah, I don't know, really? Marge. I don't want to go inside. That little guy hasn't done anything yet. You know it's going to be good when he does. <laughs> I, 
I don't have the whole mob recast because really we talked about it earlier. There's really four characters in this movie. Right. And everyone else is kind of a bit player, like unnamed, whatever. I feel like there's got to be like 10 mobsters and we like slowly take out five of them in really cool and intricate ways that are super creepy. And then when there's five left, then we get the big finale saw, like putting them through hell of like, this is full on creeptastic mode. Right. This is this is definitely he's been prepared for this the entire time. And and this is this is what it's all been leading to. And there are there are traps. There are, you know, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And uh, I think the fun of this, too, is giving some of those mob characters. I didn't recast all of them either, but I did select actors that could kind of play both sides. You know what I mean? Love it. that's that's kind of the fun, I think, of being in those roles is, you know, like one of my favorite moments in the movie is when he throws the Vin Diesel wannabe out the window. And then yeah. the woman turns around and he's sitting on the bench at, like and she just loses it. Cause... Yeah. I mean, that's a great moment. Yeah, it's a really great moment. And I want more of that. And I think it yes. would be really, really fun to have all of these different actors kind of have their own dark man's version of that character that they had already been playing. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that, but the actors basically have to play themselves and they have to play dark man playing them. Yeah. And that's, a, I think a really fun exercise exercise to give an actor. Oh man. So fun. I agree with that entirely. The one thing that I think we need kind of need to build back from the ground up is the Francis McDormand character, Julie Hastings. Mm-hmm. We got to give her something to do. Yeah. Other than just be, uh, giving the, the away worst. dark man at, at every step of yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah. I like either, either she's in with the mob herself, mm-hmm. which I am not opposed to, or she's got to be a little bit more active. I agree with that. And uh, to me, my, my thought is maybe she works on this, you know, Strack Trump, whatever, whatever the guy's name is, what, maybe she's on that, corporate legal team and comes across some stuff that's just not kosher like this is you know this is like she's going full whistleblower exactly and then that's why they yeah that's why they go after her is because you know you can't touch a whistleblower legally but you know if you get the mob involved and it also gives her a reason to to like go to her boss she's like hey like not necessarily like the big boss Right. But just like her, just her immediate supervisor and just be like, hey, boss, I found this thing. This seems sketchy, right? And the boss is like that. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Pretend you never saw it. Yeah. 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 But she can't do that. And she ends up taking the piece of paper home. And then that guy tells. Yeah. Goes to the big boss. Yeah. Goes to the big boss. Michael, not Michael Flynn. Who was the attorney? Michael Cohen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's just say like that guy goes to, you know, the big boss and is like, hey. You know, somebody, one of our junior lawyers here is uh, asking questions that they shouldn't be. What do you want mm-hmm. to do about it? She she found a piece of paper that was supposed to be destroyed. Why was why wasn't it destroyed? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Corporate found, negligence. Fa- found two pieces of paper, put two and two together, and realized something's going on. Right. F- found the before paper and the after paper. <laughs> and it just happens to be the same paper. Not I meant. Before crime, after crime of how did this happen? Well, some sort of money got laundered. Ah, like uh, I see. Thing. Oh, okay. I, I misinterpreted that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, I, I and I, and I did I I did not make myself clear. That's okay. But yeah, something like that. So and that way because it's also she's like having to leave the job because 
one of the things she talks about in this movie is that she didn't want to get married because she liked working. She liked she liked being employed and having this job. And that's great. The movie kind of is like, huh, this wouldn't have happened if you'd agreed to marry him. Yeah, a little bit. And that's kind of like the old school way of, of doing things. You know, like, yeah, like oh, like, well, if we're going to get married, then you better leave your job and just be uh, home and make right. me dinner. And, you know, and like even in the even in 1990, that is antiquated. It sure is. And, you know, even if she wanted to like, OK, I'm going to leave my job and start my own practice while I marry you. That could that could be a thing that happened. You know, that whole yeah. leaning on that crutch is not. Good. <laughs> but like I would I would love it if Peyton Westlake and Julie Hastings just genuinely support each other in their profession. And then when this thing happens at work, she goes to him and is like, This is what's going on and I I don't know what to do about it. He's like, Well, I mean you love your job. You genuinely enjoy what you do. I, I would like it if it's his fault. He's like, All right, well, have you ever had any reason to suspect your bosses before? No? Don't worry about it then. Tell you what. Let's keep the piece of paper, let's figure it out, and then we'll get through this together. And because right. he's like he's because he made the mistake of being a supportive partner, he gets almost killed. Yeah, essentially well, I might as well be dead. <laughs> right. At that point. Yeah. And but like I, I want them to be supporting each other and I want her career to be something interesting. And so like when her partner or whatever gets from her perspective killed like, she has to quit the job. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, I, I found this paper and then my apartment exploded. I'm not an idiot. Right. And it did kind of feel like in the original film that, like, why are you still talking to this? You know, she goes and, like, on dates with the guy afterwards. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. It was that that was definitely a plot hole that I was like, hmm, yeah. Uh, there's no way that apartment just randomly exploded the same day that <laughs> she was like, Hey, I found this memo. What's going on? I, I will be okay with her staying in the job. If she then goes over her immediate supervisor to the big boss and says, I think my immediate supervisor is robbing you. And then he gets fired. And now she's the supervisor. And then over the course of the movie realizes that it wasn't the person who got fired. It was the big boss all along. Right. And now of course she's in too deep. And then like, it's a reveal of his own treachery. Um, yeah. Cause I mean the whole, the whole conceit and like the theme of dark man is whatever face you're putting on, that might not be who you are really. Right. Right. In and almost every like, character. Yeah. And I feel like we need to have that, for and I think we like we could have that for both Julie Hastings and the Lewis Strack Jr. Of Lewis Strack Jr. is like I am glad you found that good job being a whistleblower. We support whistleblowers of this company. Mm-hmm. What else have you found? Yeah, and then totally milk it for right. information. And then and then she meanwhile can be like I I found the information. I know that it it didn't like it's never just the middle management. It always like gets allowed and like they're slowly working to double cross each other. Mm-hmm. But Julie Hastings doesn't have the mob backing her up. Of course. And she's an honest person and wanting to do the honest thing. So, you know. And wants to turn it over to, like, the, the whatchamacallit, the, the Better Business Bureau or whatever. And, sure. But then yeah. it turns out the Better Business Bureau has been in uh, Louis Strack's business pocket. Yeah. This whole well, time. I mean, and, why- like, literally, when she goes and tells them, here's all the information I found we need to put a stop to this fortune 500 CEO. 
they do the exact same thing the middle management did is go immediately to him and say, guess what? Yeah. And then that's how they track her down and we get the big, uh, yeah, I'm going to call it the big shabu at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's, that is a big shabu. High steel shabu. Yes. Yes. But does that work for you? Is like It gives her something yes. to do and it's not just like, whoops. Yeah, I accidentally found this thing, and then, uh, you know, I kind of came across this other thing, and, and wow, man, my apartment randomly exploded, and I don't understand. I mean, I sure am sad that this guy, like, died, but you're pretty cool. (laughs) And you're rich. Yeah, and your office is insane. That is, it is a pretty cool office, I mean, I gotta... That is not, that was not our opinion of the office when we were watching it. No. <laughs> no. We thought that, like, as soon as you walked into the office, you're like, oh, this is clearly a lunatic. Yeah. Oh, totally. The I mean, only part of it we liked was when it, like, the, the, the window opened. And it showed all the buildings being built in the background. Yeah. That was rad yeah. as heck. That was super cool. But his weird, like, wood-paneled squares office were like, okay, anyone who can work in this office is clearly a madman. Oh, yeah. It's totally a sociopath's office, but it was cool looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. We're on the same page then. What other things are important to the plot for you? I mean, I think we, I think we essentially covered them all. Um, I, I do think that the, the more revenge we can get for out of Darkman is, is important because, like you said, we get like three. You know, it, it was very like three beats, and then now we're on to the next thing. Act Act Two is those three beats. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I feel uh, like we can get more out of him kind of almost like s- weird secret agent-y, tension-y kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think as it progresses, he needs to enjoy it more and more. Like, I think it needs to get yeah, more and more and elaborate definitely... as he's having a better and better time. Yep. And he definitely uh, kind of spirals into that heart of darkness, uh, which is his journey. And I do think that leads itself to kind of the big you know, booby-trapped saw ending that you were talking mm-hmm. about. You know, the bloodbath, that part. Exactly. So then my question for you is this. How how do you want this movie to resolve? Like, do you want him... Like, he... Because it... Let, let's assuming this movie is a contained story. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want him going off into the distance to be a hero? Do you want him going off into the distance to be a villain? Do you want Julie Hastings to kill him? How do you see this story ending... Oh, I didn't, hadn't even thought about her killing him. I do. I have always liked the original ending where he is kind of walking off a villain, like just, you know, an antihero. Yeah, it's I hadn't even thought about that. But I do. Well, I do like an antihero the is another option because there's an antihero and there's a villain. Those are two different things. Mm, yeah. I Yeah, I do. I do think we should stick to kind of the antihero where he's like this weird, weird loner and... I don't, you know, I don't even know what he would do beyond the confines of this film, but I, I do like the idea of him walking away a forever damaged and changed so person. If we make him an anti-hero and he's walking off a changed and forever person, basically what we've done is we've invented Punisher. Pretty much, yeah. Creepy, Saw-esque Punisher. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to have something at the end that kind of establishes that this is this is going too far. Don't don't be this guy cuz 
you're I mean, I know that these are bad guys, but you are torturing and then killing them. Right. And I I yeah. I think he I think he needs to become completely unhinged. And I think either that ends with him killing Julie or Julie killing him, and I don't know which one I prefer. Hmm. And I think it would have to depend on where we end up when we get to this point in the script. But Right. Uh quite honestly, I like the idea just what you just floated of him not on not purposely killing Julie. Sure. But his, you know, his shenanigans, uh, you know, his big elaborate saw things where he goes completely unhinged and loses his temper because it's very clear when he goes into that mode, like, you know, it's like the an extreme version of seeing red. You don't know what you're doing. You're not in control yeah. of your actions. And that could lead to her death. Yes. And then that could be the thing that he was like, look what I did. You know, what have mm-hmm. I become? Because that, I mean, that almost is a fate worse than death is. (laughs) And what I would like is, let's say he does that, but that, but she was the only one that was going to be able to take down the the big boss. Like after Darkman has this big confrontation in his saw and takes out all the gangsters and accidentally kills Julie, then he's stuck because like she was going to be the one that was going to be able to deliver the thing. And... I think we got to make it real creepy and like our end of the movie is the motion gets filed against Lewis Strack Jr. Mm-hmm. And it's done by Julie, but it's just dark man wearing her face. That would be very, yeah, that is, it, that's pretty powerful it, ending. Yeah. Instead of having our Bruce Campbell ending, it's just Julie walking off into the distance and it's just yeah. dark man creepily like assuming like, like, gonna try to do the right thing, but still doing it as the creepy dark man guy. Yeah, in a in a big black coat, walking into, uh, you know, you have ninety minutes to walk into the courthouse and file a motion. Yeah, or we can even see him like do that, look around, look up into the sun, and then open an umbrella and just hunker down under the umbrella as he walks away into the down uh, in the crowd. Yeah, towards towards like the courthouse or something like that. Yeah, it could. Yeah, that could be. And first of all, why the hell didn't he ever use an umbrella to begin with? Like, that's <laughs> just dawned on me. <laughs> I mean, it, I'm sure it's not direct light or whatever. But, like, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, we can make it direct light. Like, right. skin is like a plant. Like, it's plant-based, and some plants just can't handle direct light. Right. Yeah, that's perfect. And it's an eco-friendly uh, fake skin. I mean, yeah. Like, literally, that can be the guy at the beginning. He's like, it's eco-friendly. It's all of these amazing things. I am a good person. Snap. I will torture and kill you all. And now I'm kind of, now that I accidentally tortured and killed everybody, including my girlfriend, I'm kind of back to being a semi-good person, sort of. Yeah, but but it's obviously like, it's the face he put on. He puts on the face of a good person, but we know that he's not. Right, exactly. And oh man, that's a great ending. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, if you're going to end up doing a sequel, it's going to end up needing to be a crossover with something else where someone is going to need to take down Darkman. Right. Right. That's the actual sequel. It could even be Return of Durant. Yeah. (laughs) Have the actual police coming after him instead of. (laughs) Yeah. But then that might make police heroes. And I don't want that in my movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. I really don't. But there'll be something else, some 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 sort of other scientist or doctor or something, right? Who's... Or an actual Frankenstein. Mm. Yeah, that he, that he builds himself. Yeah, betrayed by his own Frankenstein. Oh man, yeah. Like the yeah, sequel he is just his him, own. Yeah, prince is, prince the child he would have had with Julie. 
Oh, that's terrifying. That's so creepy. <laughs> that is that's like some serious Bride of Reanimator style. So like the Well plot- it's also like the uh 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 WandaVision where she like these are the children she would have had with Vision, but it's like they're not real kids. Oh, I actually didn't see WandaVision, so oops. <laughs> you should watch it's not a spoiler, you should just watch WandaVision, but like oh, it's weird. Yeah, it's totally weird. Man, but that that is a really fun sequel that he like and one that you don't expect like sequels today are just like here's the next one and this one yeah that's that's really bright of frankenstein like left field like i look what i've created a life that should have been and yeah man that's yeah that's creepy (laughs) son of dark man love it love it cool We'll have to come up with that some other totally, time. Totally, totally in line with what it is too, like a universal style tragic monster story. Yeah, I'm into it. All right, I think that's our story. Do you want to get into casting? Yeah, let's do it. Dueling genre. All right, cool. So obviously, we have to start with Dark Man, Peyton Westlake, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I went. Basically, everyone in my cast is able to do comedy, but able to do it in an intense way and like get like can can move back and forth between the comedy and the drama. Uh, that's great. I kind of did that as well. That being said, I had a really difficult time casting Peyton Westlake. So as did I, but I feel pretty good about who I have. Okay. He is a recognizable actor in that he's been in so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's one of those people that people in L.A. know his name. But I, I think largely in the world, they're like, oh, that guy. OK. And I, I feel like I just feel like he'd be good and interesting. And because he's a good comedian, I'd feel like he'd be able to like kind of slip into other kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. And is also surprisingly jacked. Oh, OK. And that actor's name is Eugene Cordero. I have never. You're right. I have not heard of him. I'm going to look him up real quick. Eugene Cordero. Good old IMDb. Oh, yeah. You're right. I've seen his face, and yeah, I, I do know who he is now. Um, yeah. He is a great uh, character actor who could definitely pull off the nerd also turning into a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has that arc a little bit in Other Space, but no one's ever watched Other Space. Um, mm. He's in... He's in Mandalorian. He's in The Good Place. He's in the new season of the new season, the season of Loki. Mm-hmm. I I know him from Mandalorian, right? He's just an incredibly versatile and well-regarded actor who can do comedy, but also can do the drama. So I thought well, he would be good. That's great, and I I agree one hundred percent with casting comedians because <clears throat> I mean, if if anything, Breaking Brad is is proof excuse me breaking bad is uh i don't know who brad is but is but he is a broken brad he really is he's he's uh had a rough 30 years you know teens were good the rest were were trash uh anyway yeah uh most comedians have a really great you know if you can do comedy you can do anything but if you can do drama you can't necessarily do comedy like the reverse isn't always there true anyway Sorry, my long-winded rambling. <laughs> no, that's that's what this is for. Tell me who you have. My casting is going to be, you're going to cock an eyebrow at me, but I did, he's known as a child actor and made his cash as a child actor and uh, has since gone on to play some pretty interesting roles. So I thought he would be perfect as a uh, as a nerd who goes down the psychopath route. 
I chose Harry Potter himself, Daniel Radcliffe, to play oh, Peyton Westlake. That's good casting. I think Daniel Radcliffe is a good choice. I like that a lot. He's really stepped up. Like, you know, most child actors just kind of, you know, go go off and do their own thing. But he's made some really interesting acting choices. He was in some yeah. great horror films. Like Lady, I think it's called Lady in the Window or something like that. Uh, there's that great film that I can't recall off the top of my head where he's in like bear slippers with some guns looking like a meth head. Like mm-hmm. he's really got the chops to and also be under well, what I'm assuming is hours of makeup <laughs> yeah. to do the dark man. I mean, he's already been basically dead before. Right. When I don't even remember the name of the movie. Uh, the one where he's a dead body. Oh, right. Uh, it's like Swiss Army a Swiss Army Man. man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Swiss Army Man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Daniel Radcliffe is is a very good idea. I I might have us go with that. Yeah, okay. I, I don't have a problem with that. Let's go with Daniel Radcliffe. All right. Okay, cool. Then that uh, brings us to Julie Hastings. Who did you have for the love interest also uh, now a competent Person. attorney yeah <laughs> now, now a now a part of the story yeah uh, so i chose she's a somewhat up-and-coming actress i knew her back in the day in the comedy scene um but she has started taking roles that are similar to what julie hastings originally took uh there was this um show with patrick stewart back in the day where she was his personal assistant can't remember the name of it off the top of my head uh, most recently, she is on a show on Apple TV. Oh, man, the name just escaped me. It was on the tip of my tongue, and now it's gone. Anyway, my choice for Jules is an actress named Mary Holland. Mary Holland, who is in Happiest Season. She's yes. in The Package, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Yes, yeah. that Mary Holland. Physical was the name of the show that just premiered on Apple TV. Apologies uh, for watching that. Physical's supposed to be good. Yeah, I mean, obviously I haven't seen it yet, but yeah. I I got a screener of the pilot. It's actually really entertaining. It's really good, really good show. Fun, cool. Yeah, I uh, once again that is an excellent choice. I ha- went down a similar route. Uh, I know her from comedies, but I've also seen her in um, like action movies and stuff. And she recently was the lead in kind of like a drama action-y kind of show and so i thought she'd be a a good competent partner for our our lead guy and so that's why i thought to go with colby smulders oh yeah colby smulders is great yeah robin from how i met your mother right and also um one of the shield agents right uh avengers yeah, she's like Nick Fury's uh, right right hand person. She is a perfect choice uh, for for Julie Hastings. I think she could totally handle the action, um, no problem. She, yeah, and, she is. And also, I still think we should go with Mary Holland because I don't know who Mary Holland is, and I know who Carrie Smulders is, and I Kobe Smulders is, <laughs> and I and I always like going with the the lesser known and clearly competent performer. Sure, sure, okay. Let's go with Mary Holland then. Yeah. Let's talk about Lewis Strack Jr., the businessman. My turn to go first. This was actually my first choice for Peyton Westlake. And then I looked up and saw how old he was. And I was like, that's not going to work. Because it turns out this guy is 49. And I was not prepared for that. Which, not that a 49-year-old can't be a superhero. But like for the first movie, you want to be able to give them time to grow into the character. Yeah, exactly. And 
most people know him from his comedy stuff, but he's can do dramatic very well. I mean, he's in Pitch Perfect 2, an amazing drama, and he also had a role <laughs> in The Predator, but I'm oh. going I'm going with Keegan Michael Key. Oh, all right. Cuz yeah. even cuz especially like like oh yeah, that's like I'm thank you for helping me. I'm a good guy. I'm the one who's like like oh yeah, I'm a good alternative to your now dead boyfriend. But it turns out I've been evil this whole time. And he's perfect at it because he is such a charming dude. And that's why I wanted him to be Dark Man. But then I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, he's a little little beyond the, the age. He would have been yeah. perfect, though. Keegan, actually, I knew him pretty well back in the day. He was my first Second City instructor. Oh, fun. Before Key and Peel, uh, he was my first instructor at Second City. And he... Uh, <laughs> You know, it. Uh, I think it was like the end of my second time. He was no longer my teacher. It was my second class there or whatever. And then all of a sudden he disappeared. And then I started seeing him on the sides of buses <laughs> uh, <laughs> for Key and Peele. Um, so I, I'm totally on board with it, putting him in anything. I've seen him turn dark and he is he is got the chops. Great. Who did you have? So for my, my choice, uh, I chose somebody who more recently has grown into a stereotypical kind of uh, not quite mustache twirling villain, but more of a, you know, kind of a scientific villain who I thought would be great to play a real estate mogul that is, has sinister, you know, goals. Uh, My choice was B.D. Wong from the Jurassic Park films. That's a great choice too. I love B.D. Wong. Oh yeah. I'll I'll watch anything and with him in it. He's, he's great. I, I personally think Keegan-Michael Key is perfect for that turn. Yeah, I, uh, I think so, too. Because he, he could really go from charming, nice, you know, almost kind of, uh, you know, startup kind of dude who I built this business. Thank you for coming to me with this. Like, you know, this this whole thing is my baby. Like, I can't believe I have somebody on my staff who's doing this. And then at the end, you find out that it's all been gaslighting. And he'd be great. I could just see that turn in my head. You know, he's he just, he's got the chops for it. Yeah. Cool. I love it. Keegan-Michael Key it is. Great. That brings us to uh, Robert Durant. Uh, mine's a bit of a left field choice, so I'm excited to see who you have for Robert Durant. Oh, okay. I'm excited to see who you have, too. So for me, it's not definitely not a one-to-one casting, but I, I also went with somebody who's a little bit older and uh, has kind of been making a name for himself playing villains over the past 10 or so years. And uh, I also wanted to dive into the characters and how those two kind of talk to each other was very, um, I don't know, almost like prep school, the way they talk to each other Okay. between Strack and uh, Durant. Uh, so anyway, my choice for Durant was somebody who can perform those kind of roles, but also dip, dig deep into the action. So I went with uh, Giancarlo Esposito as Durant. Yeah, I can see that. That's a that's a good mobster lead. Like that's always going to be a, a great choice for for that sort of role. Like Giancarlo Esposito is excellent. He also would have been a good Lewis Strack Jr. But yeah, uh, but yeah, that's a fun. I actually choice. went back and forth. Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe that. So so then. My Robert Durant is actually Roberta Durant. I did a, a gender swap oh. for this one. Because, okay. A, this movie has one woman, and yeah. I wanted there to be a second. So, But for this, I was like, I think Robert Durant is a good place for a gender swap. Mm-hmm. I think just a powerful, intimidating woman who uh, leads the mob, and then you learn is a true psychopath. Okay. 
And she herself is having a resurgence. Like, she is the lead of the show Hacks. She had an amazing role in Mayor of Easttown, and everyone loves Jean Smart. And so she obviously can do the comedy very well, but then it is you watch either of these shows and it's an amazing dramatic turn and she is a phenomenal actress and she's had a fantastic career and more work for her the better oh yeah i completely agree with you she is uh she has the chops to play that real sadistic you know uh, and i'd love it if she's like yeah i'd love it if she works for lewis streck jr but she hates that she has to because she she is the leader of this like mob gang thing and she got to that point by herself on her Mm -hmm. own literally clawed and scraped her way to the top and she still has to like get this stupid rich kid and his stupid money right exactly and And i I can yeah she totally can can play duran i think that's a wonderful choice especially with a gender swap um, I really loved her work in Watchmen recently, and I think I think that kind of same kind of like attitude that she has would would be really you know kind of snarky, but still still understands what's going on, and you know, exactly. I, I think she's great. She's great choice. Let's go with her. I'm cool. all in. So then, I have one more like actory role. Like I've got a random enforcer guy mm-hmm. who i was like that's like because i briefly considered him for durant but i'm like no i feel like he's more of a enforcer here in this type of situation so and but you said you cast a couple of the other uh gang members as well i did i i put some kind of not lesser known but you know people who i know could still act because we we i had a feeling we would go into this route where you know dark man is gonna be also these people in disguise. Um, so I, I had a few names that I thought would be kind of fun to throw in there. Action movie names. Cool. Um, but let, do you want to hear, do you want to hear mine first or you want to go first? Tell me one of yours, it? then I'll tell you mine. Then you tell me yours. Cause I'm assuming we'll go with all of these. We need enforcers. So I'm assuming we'll just take all of them. Sure. I, uh, so the first one I went, uh, and I figured he could be, you know, the strong, silent, bald dude. Uh, but I, I threw Jason Statham in there. So got it because I feel like he could still also act, you know? <laughs> yeah, that might be a little bit of an A-list choice uh, for is for he still just... an A-lister, though? Is he? He is right. literally the tight one of the title characters in Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, all right. Well, I haven't seen that. So I guess that's fair. <laughs> he like whenever like most of the action movies he's been in in the last 10, 15 years, he's been the lead. Yeah, but I thought his star was starting to kind of fade a little bit. So no, 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 no. Oh, all right. Then we okay. All right, then we can we can pull him. I don't I don't care. I was just like, oh, I haven't seen him in a while. Let's let's use him. So, but if he's in those, he's making those Fast movies, and then, Furious movies. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't pay attention to those. Oh, <laughs> uh, you should. They're fun. I have, I don't pay attention to them either. But like, it's like I should get into this universe at some point. I'll do like a a weekend where I get completely caught up. Yeah, I think it's a bit silly, uh, quite honestly. Yeah, but, yeah that's why I'm into it. it sounds yeah. great. Yeah. I've seen the right. first one and the fifth one, not in that order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I only, I'm yeah, into it. I want to watch right. them. But anyway, yeah, I, I think I think that would be a little bit distracting, if I'm that's being fair. completely honest. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, don't be sorry. I was just and like, I, oh, he'd be good. I haven't seen him in a while. And I'm not just saying that because now I'm going to tell you about my big bald enforcer type. Okay. Since that's what we're going for here. Now, right. I, w- I will throw in that this guy is 6'6". 
He is a large okay. gentleman. He's but he's often like the big guy. Like he was in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He's in Search Party. He's had like a big like a career of being like the scary, intimidating dude. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Rene Rivera. R e n e s r i v e r a. Oh yeah, yeah, I know him. He's great. And like, so obviously, I was looking at him as like being the potential Durant, but I was like, mm, no, I think he can be the number two to Durant. Like he can be our uh, our knockoff uh, Vin Diesel. Yeah, he'd be great at it. Yeah, really... it's just this okay. big, scary, intimidating dude who like answers to Gene Smart, and I just I think he'd be good at it. And especially because Daniel Radcliffe is so short, and this dude is six six, for Daniel Radcliffe to somehow trick us into believing <laughs> that he is this six six dude, because Daniel Radcliffe, Radcliffe is like five ten, five eight. Is he really? I've never yeah. seen. Yeah, he's not that. tall. Okay, um, which I think works better because he, then he can like do things to make himself seem bigger. And I feel mm-hmm. like those. I think it's easier for a small guy to seem bigger than a big guy to seem smaller. I completely agree with that. Yeah. So that's why I thought Rene Rivera would be a good like enforcer type. Oh, totally. I completely completely agree with you there. Cool. Yeah. Let's go uh, with him. Daniel Radcliffe is five five. Wow, really? Yeah. I did not expect that. But yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. That definitely makes a, him a formidable uh, foe for for Daniel Radcliffe's uh, Dark Man. Yeah, well, like that's the whole thing. Like he's making these like body augmentation things, mm-hmm. and uh, also, by the way, Mary Holland is five nine, so she's four inches taller than him. We have apple boxes that we can use. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That it. I do not want them to fake Daniel Radcliffe being taller than Mary Holland. Mary Holland should be taller than Daniel Radcliffe, and Daniel Radcliffe should be shorter than him. It's fine. The yeah, weird notion that men have to be taller than the women they're dating is a weird male fragility thing. Oh, and I, I think completely it's agree. More interesting, especially in this movie, if we get and we see how short he is, and then later, then we get to see him f- fooling people into believing he's larger. Ah, I love it. it I think it works it, better for us that way. I completely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, it definitely also lends to like the nerdy scientist part of him too. Absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I'm sorry. Great. Who yeah. who is your next enforcer? So my next enforcer, I'm gonna butcher his name. Noel uh, Guglielmi. He is a just another thug looking actor. He was in the Fast and Furious. Uh, he was in Training Day. And, uh, you know, kind of films like that. And I felt like he is a perfect dude to kind of have that, like, just mean, silent thug type look to him. I don't like using the word thug, but yes. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have used that word. (laughs) I agree with that. But yeah, great. Let's throw him in. Seems good. I like him. Did you have anyone else? I did, but you know your comment about being uh, recognizable. I I thought it would be fun to have Danny Trejo in it too, just to be oh. kind of like a mean enforcer dude. But I mean, it's always fun to have Danny Trejo and stuff. But yeah, I think he'd be yeah. distracting also. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Although it could be fun to have you know Daniel Radcliffe play <laughs> Danny Trejo, but you I, know. that would be funny. But yeah, let's move on to writer and director then. Let's do it. I, I have separate writer director. Do you have a hyphen it? I do have it. I do not. No, not the direction that we wound up taking with it. I had two different versions in my head because it could have oh, gone two it. different ways. Oh, so. smart. W- way, to, way to prepare for contingencies. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so then I'll go first for – no, let's have you go first for writer because my director is the very on-the-nose obvious choice and I want to see if you can top it. Oh, So okay. wh- why don't you go first for writer? 
Okay. Uh, for writer, I actually so he is part of the team of writer director. He and I've I've used him before on here as a director. Okay. But um, in this instance, I want him to just pen the screenplay. Uh, I went with Lee Wannell as the writer. Okay, great. Tell remind us about Lee Wannell. Uh, Lee Wannell, he started with a horror franchise that we'll talk about in a few minutes, and went on to work on genre films like uh, the revenge kind of thriller Upgrade. He directed that and most recently directed the Last Invisible Man remake, um, which was also kind of a thriller-based film. And I thought he would be perfect to write this movie cool. if we went in the thriller direction. I mean, the fact that it, like he d- did Saw kind of does put him in the right the right notion for us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I went a different direction. I went with someone who is kind of familiar with doing kind of the out there superhero stuff, okay. like kind of the dark twists on superheroes and like, or heroes. Cause she has worked on Legion. She worked on preacher and those are kind of her two big credits. And the other thing she did was the true adventures of wolf boy. So it's very much someone who is on her way up. And this is like, she would get, she would write this movie and then kind of get like work with the director to kind of do rewrites kind of thing. Sure. But someone who has worked on superheroes and those sorts of stories. And that's why I thought she'd be interesting. This writer's name is Olivia Dufault. Olivia and then Dufault is D-U-F-A-U-L-T. So I, yeah, anybody who work can bring Preacher to life. I'm all in for that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's a tough one. So let's see who we land on for director and then we'll pick the best team out of that. Okay. But let me tell you about my director. Sure. So I wanted horror, but I wanted comedy. And it turns out there is just one guy who has been like the horror comedy director. Like this is the guy to go to. Okay. Because he did Zombieland. He did Venom. He directed episodes of Santa Clarita Diet and has been producing all sorts of other stuff too. And like those three things are kind of like tone and stuff for what we're going for. This director's name is Ruben Fleischer. Okay. Like I said, he's the very obvious choice. Like he is the, this is the Hollywood choice for this director. And I don't think he would be bad. I think he would get the job done, but I figured uh, you might have a more interesting choice for me. Yeah. So I do. Oh yeah. He did do Zombieland. Look at that. I mean, this guy would be great. I do agree. This would be the Hollywood choice to remake this movie. Yes. Uh, I went with somebody, not quite one for one with Sam Raimi, but he did kind of have the same career trajectory in that he started making a low-budget horror film, went on to do a couple great, really, really great and underrated revenge thrillers, and then uh, wound up coming back to horror. I went with uh, the director, James Wan, to direct this film. And I feel okay. like he has the the chops to not only deliver the scares, but also the emotional connection between... Uh, our leads that is kind of required. He's directed uh, most recently the the Conjuring films and also a few other horrors. Mostly, I went towards him because he made this really great revenge thriller uh, called Death Sentence in the late two thousands. That was really potent, and I thought uh, it was like a really potent comment on vigilante violence. Yeah, and I thought this would be a really good fit for him here because he can stretch his horror chops and -hmm. also deliver a really strong you know kind of thriller film i agree plus he directed furious seven i did not know that wow 
I should have <laughs> looked up his IMDb credits first. I was just yeah. like, yeah, I know. I, you know, I especially, think, I think this is the perfect director. I, okay. I, then I, I agree with you, especially if we're talking about doing gags at the end, like saw like gags, like he's yeah. really good at that. Yeah. I think what we have is a situation where our performers are comedians, but our, our writer and director can do the drama and the horror, which is where we need it to be. And then mm-hmm. if they let our, if they let the performers play, then I think we'll end up with kind of a fun, it, it will be a fun working environment, which will lead to a fun movie. And then it can get dark. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And going back to his uh, work recently, if the the last big one was The Conjuring that he did, he cast a lot of comedians in that. Uh, like Ron Livingston was the lead. Uh, Patrick Wilson is in it. Lily Taylor. Those are all people who have both comedy and drama chops to them. Yeah. So and and it worked. It's a very effective, very scary film. I mean, it's important. I mean, the reason why you do comedy people in horror movies is because they rely on the same premise of timing and surprise. Absolutely. And comedians will have that. They they really are the the like polar opposite of each other. (laughs) And yet, yeah, different sides of the same coin. Yeah, that's that's a better analogy. That is a much better analogy than polar opposites. (laughs) So then with that in mind, let's do Olivia Dufault uh, as our writer and then James Wan as our director. Sounds good to me. And then that's our that's it. This isn't a large cast. And I mean, we'll kill a lot of people, but they won't be like the important named people. No. And and you'll definitely remember them after this, too, if we yeah. kill them in the same way that yeah. we've been But it should be an about. opportunity to play and have fun. And I think that's good. But let me take you through who, you, who we've got. Sound good? Sound good. All right. Peyton Westlake, a.k.a. Darkman, is going to be played by Daniel Radcliffe. Julie Hastings will be Mar- played by Mary Holland. Louis Strack Jr. will be Keegan-Michael Key. Roberta Durant will be Gene Smart. Our couple of enforcers are Rene Rivera and Noel uh, Guglielmi. All of this will be written by Olivia Dufault and then directed by James Wan. And that is our Darkman 2021. Love it. I, I can't wait to see this movie. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be rad as hell. I may not be able to see it because it's going to be so creepy that it will pass my threshold of viewability. Yeah, we'll we'll watch it together in a well lit room. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, cool, uh, fun. I, we did it. We made the movie. So now's the time for uh, plugs. A, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again and for loving this movie because this worked out really well. I was so excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's a great flick, and my pleasure anytime. I love love doing this. It's a it's a real blast. So. Yeah. Uh, so then. What kind of websites and things do you want people to go to? If people want to hear the kind of scoring you've been doing, where can they do that? Uh, they can head over to www.kevinmostellermusic.com. And there spell, you Mos- spell Mosteller for them, please. It is M like Mary, O-S-T-E-L-L-E-R. KevinMostellermusic.com. And uh, we will soon have uh, some of the stuff up on Spotify to listen to as well, just under my name as an artist. Uh, But that is TBD at the moment. We don't have a release date. So cool. But that's coming up. So watch Spotify. You know, check back if you're interested in in hearing what I've been up to. (laughs) Awesome. And if people want to, say, follow you on social media to get that information, where would they go do that? You can find me on Instagram at Kevin Mosteller Music. The exact same thing as my website. Or you can find me on Twitter at Kev Mostellar. 
spelled differently because I like to confuse as many people as possible. <laughs> it's K-E-V-M-O-S-T-S-T-E-L-L-A-R on Twitter. Got it. Fun. Thank you again so much for doing this. If you are interested in following me on social media, I am at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H on Twitter. Or you can follow the podcast at Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake on Instagram or Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake podcast on Facebook. All great sources for all of your favorite Sam Gash and Ideal Remake uh, content. And if you like, you can also subscribe to Ideal Remake on YouTube if you like YouTube for your podcast or that may be where you're listening right now. I don't know. And once again, I will say, if you're the sort of person who likes listening to podcasts, take some time and go through your Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave reviews for I Do Remake and all your favorite podcasts because we would all very much appreciate it. And if you want to support Dueling Genre, the podcast network I'm a part of, you can always go to uh, DuelingGenre.com and become a Patreon supporter. For three bucks a month, you get like literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of content and it's pretty wild and they're pretty fun it's including some patreon only shows including dueling genre tonight which i'm going to be recording an episode of this weekend which will be coming out prior to this episode dropping but that's not really relevant to you now but yeah that's it that's uh that's all the things so we'll end as we always do kevin what is your favorite quote from the movie dark man oh boy i think it's i know you did rick but let's pretend you didn't. <laughs> That's a great one. I think the the thing that got the biggest reaction and the biggest laugh is a moment when Liam Neeson, in the full makeup, and you can see his whole face with like his teeth and everything, just laughs quietly to himself and just goes, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so great. <laughs> yeah. Good. What a great movie.